Hello, Deep State Radio listeners. To celebrate the launch of our new login and feed management system, we are offering membership for just $5 per month or $50 per year. Members receive access to exclusive bonus content from all of our podcasts, an invitation to the DSR Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. To take advantage of this offer, please visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. There's no need to enter a promo code. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. Thank you very much. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast, and I might add a special edition of the podcast because we are taking this occasion to commemorate five years of Deep State Radio. It's actually about five years and a month, but we are doing it by bringing back together the whole old band, as we say, as we used to, when we used to play in uh, the cave in Liverpool or wherever it was we started out. That includes Corey Shockey. Corey is a senior fellow and director of foreign and defense policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute. How are you today, Corey? I'm exceedingly well. Thank you, David. Very, very glad to uh, have you back here. And Rosa Brooks. Rosa holds the Scott K. Ginsburg Chair in Law and Policy at Georgetown University Law Center, where she also serves as the Associate Dean for Centers and Institutes. Hi, Rosa. Hi, David. (laughs) And of course, we have with us Ed Luce. Ed is the U.S. National Editor and Columnist at the Financial Times. How are you doing, Ed? I'm also exceedingly well. Thank you. Excellent. And at some point, perhaps we will have a visit from our friend David Sanger. We shall see. But I want to, uh, you know, have a special, you know, that kind of fifth anniversary thing. Look back a little bit, look forward a little bit. And uh, the place to begin is with the look back five years ago when we were doing this. And we, we had all started doing podcasts a couple of years before. So I think we were possibly the very first podcasters. You know, this was long before everybody had a podcast, but um, we were just a few months into the Trump administration, and we had no idea that that would go terribly. Oh no, we knew that would go terribly wrong. Well, um, <laughs> what what caught you as a surprise in the past five years? The rapid advance of the Chinese nuclear weapons programs far faster and more aggressive than we thought. The Russian invasion of Ukraine, a belief that they could achieve more by force or that they had a military that was capable of it. That was a shock to me to realize how much better we thought the Russian military was than the Russian military is. The depth of unity that Western countries could show I would not have bet we could have come together as well as we have come together. And of course, something we have talked about a lot, the shock that American governance depends so strongly on norms and that my fellow Republicans would traduce them 
with such ease and clean consciences. Well, that's a lot, but I'm sure there's more. Ed, I'm sure one of the things you were shocked by was that Kylie Jenner became the world's youngest billionaire, but what else? Oh, Kylie, sorry, Kylie Jenner. Yeah, you've said all I know on that subject, so I'll move on. I'll move on to saying, look, I I did not expect, and I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, none of us would have expected in 2017 that the person who would replace Trump would be Biden. You know, that, that, that really did take me by surprise and in some respects still surprises me because the conventional wisdom was that there was such a rich field of Democratic presidential contenders already then beginning to crystallize that yesterday's man would not be, would not be the actual Trump card to get rid of Trump. So that surprised me. I'm surprised Boris Johnson, who wasn't yet prime minister, lasted so long. You know, I gave him three months before he imploded because the guy has no executive abilities whatsoever. So I guess that that surprised me. I would share Corey's silver lining surprise to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, namely that there is unity left in the West yet. And that's been quite an encouraging development. albeit amidst a a very, very ominous war, land war in Europe. That's been quite a surprising development of the last five years, indeed the last five months. I'm still trying to think of Kylie Jenner and and what it is, why why she's so rich. Well, that's a good question. And we're not going to answer that question here. I bet you wouldn't have predicted five years ago that the next prime minister of, of your homeland would be trying so hard to look and appear to be Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, and, and it's astonishing. If you see the side-by-side pictures of her, you know, whether it's in a tank, not doing a Dukakis, doing a Thatcher in a tank. If you look at um, what she dressed as for the first prime ministerial debate a couple of weeks ago, it's not just overtly copying Thatcher, it's copying Thatcher down to the exact costumes. It's quite astonishing. She will prove, I think, the rule that's held fast for a decade now, which is however bad we think Britain's current leader is, within about three weeks of the new one coming in, we will be repenting their predecessor's absence. And I have to say, I think Liz Truss is going to make that true, even of Boris Johnson. Very impressive. I do want to say parenthetically, looking back on the past five years, that of all the people who were running for this job to replace Boris Johnson, the one who seemed the sanest was first brought to my attention by Corey, when she said, you know, you should get this guy Tom Tugan had on the show and he, he would be really good. And he was the same guy. And I tried it. We couldn't. We tried. We just couldn't get him on. But you called that correctly, Corey. Rosa, as you look back at the past five years, what are the big surprises? Well, I wasn't expecting the Spanish Inquisition, David. No one has ever expected Spanish Inquisition. So, OK. I would think of the last five years basically falling under the heading of thus I refute Steven Pinker because it hasn't been a great five years. Nobody's mentioned the pandemic yet, so let's just toss that one in there. It's already been mentioned, you know, Russia's decision to revert to World War II style of conflict and essentially blow up the rules-based international order. That was not so great. The speed of democratic decline and sort of reversal of rights gains that we've seen you know, particularly unexpected in terms of its speed in this in in the U.S. The accelerating depredations of climate change. I think you know we we knew it was coming, but we're still surprised by how fast and how dramatic the changes have been. And I, I think that 
we have not been seeing humanity move towards ever more kinder and gentler ways of interacting. We've essentially seen a significant backsliding. Uh, and and I, I know we're going to talk later about what is likely to happen in the next five years, but I'll just preview it by saying it's probably nothing good. Living up to your uh, your role here, but I would say for all the nerds out there in the audience, one of the intellectual reputations that has gotten most battered in the past five years is Stephen Pinker. Definitely so. Like Stephen Pinker was like, you know, hey, there's a guy with a positive outlook, and and now it's sort of universally uh, derided. I see David Sanger. I don't know where David Sanger is. Where are you, David? I am in Aspen, Colorado, having just finished the Aspen Security Forum, the Aspen Strategy Group. We're looking back five years and what was surprising. So give us a couple of thoughts. Okay. So the first thing that's surprising to me is five years later, there are still people listening to this original core group. That's something of a miracle by itself, don't you think? The second thing that's remarkable to me is that Rosa is living above ground, despite all that has happened in the world. This does not look like she is she is sitting in her bunker. David, I just want to say, ask Corey where she is. Corey, how deep a bunker are you in? I am not in a bunker. I am standing outside the Stratcom headquarters at Offutt Air Force Base because I have to be outside to use my computer. <laughs> so she is, she, Corey is, is literally a ground zero for us. But onto a few more serious things. We knew Vladimir Putin was a bad dude, but I don't think that we really thought he would try to invade and take an entire country. At least I didn't. And so I think the first big surprise is that one of the great taboos of the post-Cold War era, which we shouldn't have really thought had much lasting power, which is that countries don't take over independent countries next to them and think they can get away with it, that one seems to be gone. Sadly, I have to say that I think that the move toward reducing the number of nuclear weapons in the world, which we were on pretty steadily from John F. Kennedy's time, you know, post-Cuban Missile Crisis forward, I think that one's headed down and away. And the reason I think that is not only the Chinese buildup and the Russian threats, but it's hard to imagine in this environment, although it may change in a year or two, that uh, we are going to see an extension of New START, and that would be the last of the major nuclear um, superpower treaties. I think the third big surprise is one that Rose has already covered, so I won't dwell on it, which is the democratic recession accelerated. We thought it might be contained, and instead it has sped up. So that's a big change. I think the fourth big surprise to me is that our own politics have continued to fracture. I was having a hard time believing that the big lie about what happened in the election would stick so well, but it's got an endurance that tells you it's not really about how many votes there were, but instead about just a general protest of the system we live in. So that's the bad news. The good news is that um, I think there is a greater awareness, except perhaps in the U.S. Congress and Supreme Court, on climate issues now over time. 
time that will move in the right direction. It's interesting that corporate America is moving in the right direction, even if courts and governments are having a harder time with it. The other piece of, of good news is that we have seen more and more courageous journalism about all of that I've just described than we had expected. We're seeing um, more good use of new delivery mechanisms, whether it's podcast or video or video investigations, than we have seen before. So I would say that the journalistic world, except at the local level, where we've, of course, seen a a lot of uh, news organizations disappear, is actually healthier than I would have expected five years ago and doing better work than they were five years ago. So there's my list. That's a good list to start with. Um, So again, looking back at the past five years, if you were going to draw a lesson, draw a conclusion that you think could be a useful guide going forward, you know, sort of the moral of the story, a moral, whether it's international or whether it has to do with one particular area or it's domestic, what would that be, Corey? Mine would be that Frank Fukuyama was right. It's fashionable to say that his book, The End of History and the Last Man, was him asserting that events are not going to continue to occur. But that's so unfair to this serious work of political philosophy, which has two major points. The first, that there is no system of political community and governance that better fosters human thriving, creativity, prosperity, safety than does democracy. And the second important part of Frank's book that I think is being proven right is that part about the last man. That is, what will collapse the democratic world is people living in such safe prosperity that they cease to value and work to sustain it. And I think our adversaries have recognized the first part of that, namely the people who most fear that our values are truly universal are Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. And sadly, I worry that we ourselves are proving the second part true, namely that we are not struggling to uh, participate and uphold that most precious form of political organization, namely democracy. Excellent. Good one. Ed? No, just, just thinking briefly over the previous answers. What's surprising about the last five years mostly is what, as how unsurprising it is. I mean, Rose is correct. There was a pandemic. You know, I, I, I had no idea that was coming, but I don't think, I dispute David here, I don't think the democratic recession worsening is a surprise. You remember five years ago, we were early into Trump. We were seeing norms being shattered and we were seeing guardrails not being very effective at that, at that time. I don't think the democratic recession is particularly surprising. I don't think it's particularly surprising that climate change has got worse and manifestation has got more alarming. I think we would have forecast that five years ago. I mean, you've probably got our DSR. We've done Futurology podcasts before, right, David? Um, No, those will all be used at at appropriate moments. So I I think, you know, it's not because any of us are great Nostradamuses, but, but because when trend lines are clear, you know, it takes something to disrupt them. And those trend, line, trend lines and the US-China, very ominous trend lines, remain clear. So forecasting the next five years, you know, I, I'm afraid is, is not, not necessarily that difficult. It's like we're in a bear market. 
And you don't know as, as a stock analyst in a bear market when there are going to be minor corrections, when there's going to be plateaus, and when it's going to start resume falling again, or which earnings result or which exogenous shock will, will affect those trend lines. But you know what the long-term trend line is, and we remain in a bear market. But I've forgotten your actual question, David. Well, that, you know, again, in keeping with five years of tradition, that's fine. Answer the question you want to answer. I was listening this morning to Sani Minton Beddoes, the editor of The Economist, and she said, what we know about the economy is nothing. It's confused. We're not clear where it's going to go. It was very, you know, you talk about trend lines, and it was a, it was, it was, it was a very muddled picture. Rosa, the question that I asked Ed, which he chose not to answer, was what kind of conclusion, what kind of moral, what kind of punchline would you draw to the past five years that might be of some use guiding us going forward? I think the moral I draw from it is that we should be more humble, we meaning the the class of experts of which we are all a part, be more humble in our predictions and our assumptions, because I think the last five years have shown us how often we get things wrong and how often we have failed to imagine how bad things can get, even when we think they can get worse. I mean, I think you're right, Ed. None of the things we're talking about, including, frankly, the pandemic, were completely unforeseeable in any way. You know, we can see their precursors. We can see the the acts and omissions that got us where we are. We, we already could see them. But I do think that in many, in many areas, the sort of the acceleration rate has been a surprise that U.S. political culture and democracy could fragment so fast, for instance, you know, that the effects on ordinary weather for ordinary people of climate change would become so visible so rapidly. You know, I think we knew all this would happen, but I I still think we were a little bit unprepared for how fast and on some things, um, lack of pandemic preparation before the pandemic hit Russia and Ukraine. I do think there was a real failure of imagination, a collective failure of imagination. And, And obviously there were individuals who were ringing louder warning bells than others. But but I think that you know, I know I'm always the voice of doom, but I think that there is real value in, you know, one of the morals of the story is that we should always be prepared to think about worst case scenarios and plan for worst case scenarios, not because they inevitably happen, but because thinking about them and planning for them and taking active steps to prevent them is the only way to prevent them or mitigate them if we can't prevent them. And when we when we cheerfully say, oh, you know, that's come on, that's not going to happen, you know, or it's not going to be that bad, you know, that that's when we end up in big trouble. So I don't think it's I don't think it's an act of pessimism to think about and talk about how bad could things get? I actually think that that's that is a an act of optimism in a sense, because because only when you are willing to sort of squarely say, it could get really, really, really bad. Does it shake you up enough to do the things that might keep that from happening? You know, we're five years into this. We've that was a oh, five of us have been doing this together essentially for eight years now. And you know, it's funny I think how all the rest of you have gotten older, but I haven't. You have not exactly. Um, you you know, Corey hasn't either. Actually, no, so exactly. Can... Despite what you know, David's joke at the beginning, the the stature of all of you has grown. And the reason the stature of all of you has grown through that period is that contrary to what Rosa said, your predictions have been pretty good. 
and that each of you have made bold predictions over the course of those years, starting with seven, eight years ago when we all warned about where Trump, electing Trump would get us. And we were kind of right about that. Corey took a particularly bold stance as a never Trump Republican. And she was clearly right and courageous about that really led the way. But I could just point to each one of you, Ed's book on, on, you know, pointing about the decline of democracy and the pieces that he's done over the years about the divide in the U.S. Rosa, the, the work that you guys did anticipating the upsets in the election and the threats to democracy and the gaming that you did around that was extraordinary. David, the work that you've done around cyber. Corey, you know, repeatedly would bang the drum even when everybody was gloriously optimistic about the future of the U.S.-China relationship, that China was a threat, and here is why it was a threat. And that threat looms now more intensely than it has. You guys have been right. And of course, you know, we were all collectively right by deciding to call this deep state radio in a kind of ironic twist that had, you know, as recently as two days ago, Trump saying, I'm going to destroy the deep state and I'm going to get rid of them all and I'm going to fire 50,000 people. The deep state is the enemy. That was also a little bit on. Was that an advertising thing you asked him to do, David? Yeah, yeah, it's for my book. And I, you know, the book's coming out November 1st. And if he had just waited a couple months, it would be a lot better, a lot better for the book. But in any event, I just want to say that, you know, because uh, Rosa said we should be humble. And and every chance I get, I take a strong stance against humility. On this very podcast was the first person who, when I was saying, You know, I've already counted 17 things that ought to disqualify Trump. Rosa was the first person who helped me genuinely understand the depths of the Trump threat by saying, you can't shame him. He's shameless. That's actually the source of his strength. And I hadn't heard anybody put it that way. This would have been maybe February of 2016 when Rosa had that insight in our conversation on this podcast. Yeah, and think she was just a sophomore in college at the time. I was so much smarter back then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, David, quickly, because I do want to, you know, take our break and look forward. Do you have a moral or conclusion you want to draw from the past five years? Our friend Zanny said about the economy, I think you can also say about geopolitics here. And we do need a bit of humility about this, because I find predicting forward from the situation we're in right now, extraordinarily difficult. At the security forums that I've been at in the past week or so, you have heard a lot of the worst case scenarios. And the worst case scenario is essentially this, that Russia and China, recognizing that they both have huge problems at home, slow economic growth in China's case, sanctions that over time will undercut the technology and military of the Russians, may combine up with another aggrieved nation, Iran, and uh, not only become significant troublemakers over the next few years, but that we could end up fighting basically multi-front wars. If you think we're already pretty deeply into one in Europe with Ukraine, that you could imagine one in the Middle East that involves Iran, and you could certainly imagine one involving the Taiwan scenario. And if those were happening simultaneously, we would be a pretty stressed nation. More than stressed, we have a one-war military, not a three-war military. We do have a one-war military, that's right. And it took me a while to realize 
that the reason that Corey is at Ophid Air Force Base right now is that she must be obtaining her own nuclear weapons in case the one war strategy is not going to be sufficient to protect her. I can't imagine any other reason than she's there. <laughs> so that could be that could be the reason. Let me let me stop here, take a brief break, because this is the point where we say thanks to everybody who's listening. And after five years, if you're not a member, you know, shame on you, go become a member now. It's five dollars a month. Go to the DSRnetwork.com and click on membership, become a member. For all of you who've become a member in the course of the past five years, thanks. And you get to listen to what's coming up next. I'd point out that more people have become members in the past six months than did in all of last year. The, you know, it's growing more rapidly than ever. And so this is also a good point to thank all of you out there for listening, whether members or not. And we'll be back in one moment to continue the conversation. 